Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer and business coach helping you to live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hello and welcome to this episode of Weave Your Bliss. I'm Paula. I'm so grateful that you're here. Today I want to do something a little bit different. I want to tell you a story about how I came to be living on this 160 acre farm in rural Maine by way of telling you about my relationship to land and caring for land. Before I do that though, I want to let you know that I do a lot of storytelling, talking about big ideas and how astrology helps us in our business over at my newsletter. I send out a resonance love letter to you every Friday. So just make sure you go down to the show notes and sign up for that. It's totally free. And also you can sign up for my mini course, The Planets and Your Business. And it's delivered as an audio. They're short clips on each planet so that you can start to see how to interact with those planets in your business. So I want to share that to make sure you know about these free resources that can help you. And the reason I want to talk about how I came to live on this farm is because it's something that a lot of you want. I talk to a lot of my clients, a lot of you in sales calls, and so many of you want a piece of land that you can grow herbs or grow your food or, you know, have sheep or have a homestead with just some space to do retreat or ceremony. And that is what we are looking to have here. So I want to start way, way back when I was about five years old. My grandmother, Dorothy, had a garden. I would go to her house and she'd take me to the back in the garden. And I could remember sitting there watching her harvesting vegetables. Uh, later, she came to live with us at our house and Dorothy had grown up in the Great Depression. She was 76 when I was about five years old. And she was a kid during the depression and had learned to save things, to reuse things. So when she lived with us, she and I, you know, we shared a bathroom and she took care of me. Sometimes she would reuse my bath water. She would reuse aluminum foil and plastic bags. She planted kale in my mother's flower beds. It drove my mom crazy because she was thinking that wasn't very modern. Having grown up at her own house, her mother had done that, you know, had saved things and had grown food. And she thought, oh, we're in the modern era. This is the 80s. (laughs) We don't do that anymore. So Dorothy had a big impact on me because she was really committed to valuing what she had. And she also canned food. And that was my first exposure to that. Fast forward to me living in Manhattan with my ex-husband and we built raised beds on our roof and we're growing food there. After, you know, I had taught myself how to cook. I had a CSA share from a local farm. So I joined a community supported agriculture, a CSA. And this allowed me to try different vegetables and learn how to cook. And I wanted to grow some food for myself because I was a journalist. I had started a website called civileats.com 
with my co-founder, Naomi Starkman, who now runs it. But that uh, was all about food and food policy and how we can improve the food system so that we all can eat well. And at that time, it was really kind of a renaissance of people growing their own food in 2009. And the New York Times wrote a story about all these people planting food on their rooftops in New York, and they interviewed me. And one of the things I said is that I'm doing this because I harbor a secret desire to be a farmer. And this is what I have as a rooftop in Manhattan. At that time, I kind of out of myself, I was reading a, a lot of memoirs about people who lived on farms and, you know, had lived in the city and moved to the farm. There's one called The Dirty Life that had a particularly strong impact on me. My life kind of fell apart, which I've talked about. I got a divorce and I kind of gave up on this dream and I went forward instead with my spiritual life and, you know, traveling mostly in India just really going deep into astrology, studying some Ayurveda, getting Ayurvedic treatments, doing meditation retreats. I was really involved in these things and the studies that Dr. Sabota was teaching and helping him with his business and creating talks and things that he, you know, situations where he could give talks. That was where all my focus was. So, there was a one point where I was doing a 10 day silent meditation, which is still, it's still a wonderful thing that I, one of my favorite things I've ever done <laughs> is to regularly, like once a year, take 10 days and just be silent. And on this occasion, I was sitting at a cottage that I had up in the Himalaya. I would spend a lot of time there. It's right on the Ganges. You know, the river would be going by. It's like, really calm there. There were a few buses that would pass that would honk their little horns. And it was next to an ashram, a Shivananda ashram. So it was very calm and very peaceful. Sometimes you'd hear the bells of the goats as they were walking down or the, the uh, horses, they would wear little bells around their neck. And there was a little meadow in front of the place, right in front of the river where they would go and eat grass. It was very peaceful, right? And on about the seventh day of this meditation retreat, I got this very clear message that just said, go back. <laughs> I was like, go back. There was something inside of me that longed for a partner, like a spiritual partnership, and also that longed to put my hands in the soil and grow my own food. I wasn't getting and getting any younger. I was in my late thirties and I needed to take action if I wanted to figure these things out. And it was going to be hard. And I knew that, but I knew I had to, like, I was here to fulfill these particular desires. And when I first went to India, I really thought I was just going to like find my guru, move on to an ashram and never come home. <laughs> I think a lot of people can recognize that thought, you know, like when we get into the spiritual path, it just, it feels so good. And it feels like the place we want to stay. Maybe I had some fear that, it, you know, in the, the regular world, I would lose touch with that or something. So going back was like, oh, yeah, that would be the hardest thing I could possibly do is try to make this happen. So and of course, I wasn't making it happen. I had a sincere desire. I was sort of curious, like, okay, how can we do this? I'm going to have to make some money. I'm going to have to figure out how to do work that allows me to move around because my parents were in different places. And I knew that I was going to need to travel around a little bit. I had the good fortune 
of meeting my now husband within the next six months of being back in the United States. I had been looking around the state of Oregon. I had a lot of friends there and I thought, you know, I've never lived in the Pacific Northwest. Maybe I want to move there. And then I met him at a ceremony that a friend had brought me to. We instantly hit it off. And it turned out that he had the same dream that he wanted to have a farm and he wanted to grow his own food. He's really good with horticulture and plants, taking care of land. And he has a skill set that I don't have. I'm really good at cooking and at canning and preserving food and somewhat at gardening, but he has a really green thumb. So when we met, I had a friend there who was watching us talking about this and she was just like, all right, this is on. (laughs) This is on. And it rekindled that dream for both of us. So what we did next, you know, we moved in together and we really committed ourselves to our relationship. And then we started talking about what we wanted and writing it out. And we put a list on the fridge of what we were looking for in really great detail. And then we started actively looking around Oregon. Now we looked for about two years for a piece of land with a decent house on it that we could fix up. And it took so much time and effort and we couldn't find what we were looking for. So finally, we ended up kind of giving up and saying, well, we'll just get a place in town. We were in Astoria, Oregon at the time, which is on the coast where the Columbia meets the Pacific Ocean. We were going to just get a house in town that had 0.15 acres. We could fit our greenhouse. We could have our garden. We could have a little space for a dog. We were going to just make it work. We put in a bid for this house. And then the owner came back and said, we had eight bids. Give us your final and, and highest bid. And so we came up by a few thousand dollars. And then the real estate agent called us back and said, you're never going to believe this, but you were way outbid. I'm in shock. I can't tell you the number, but I am in shock as a person who's been in this business for 20 years. <laughs> I've never seen this before. And so we were feeling, or I should say, I was feeling a little bit hopeless. Like we weren't going to find anything in the area because prices were just jumping up and up. People were coming in from the outside and paying cash. And so we thought to ourselves, well, where would we want to be if it wasn't here? And this is kind of interesting because I had spent some time in Maine. I, I went to college in Boston and I had a few friends here, but my husband, Keaho, had never been to Maine before. And so we both looked at each other and we were like, Maine, it just kind of came out of both of our mouths at the same time. And we'd been looking on Zillow, you know, for Oregon properties. And so I just went to Zillow, (laughs) did a big circle around, you know, about 40 minutes in from the coast. And this house that we are in now had just come on the market that day. And it was the exact price we had bid for the house in town on 0.15 acres. And it has 160 acres and is a much bigger house with a wraparound porch and all the things that we wrote on the list, actually how I imagined it being a white house with a red door even. So that was enough to catch our attention. We were like, hmm, I had a friend here who would go look at it. He looked at it. He said it was going to stand. It looked pretty decent. We took a tour virtually and then we flew out and saw it. Then we placed a bid. We were the only ones to bid on it. 
So everything kind of fell into place and supported us to move forward with this decision and this purchase. After many years of both of us longing for this, <laughs> my husband is in his 60s. So he's he's wanted this most of his life. I've been thinking about it too, since I was very young, but also, you know, later in my 20s, it really came strongly as a desire. So it's, sometimes these things take time, right? It just, that's just how it is. We have to be patient. That's the nature of Saturn. If there's any affliction of Saturn on your fourth house, like whether Saturn's placed there or aspecting there, that can cause delays around acquiring land or houses. So you have to be patient. You have to take a deep breath. So anyway, we moved in. Everything kind of went smoothly. Of course, once we moved in, things kind of fell apart in the house because I, I, like to say the house kind of took a big gasp <laughs> after not having things taken care of for a long time. It suddenly realized, oh, there's people here who care. And so a bunch of things went haywire. It was winter. It was COVID. We were very much like, what have we done? <laughs> or I was. <laughs> but then, you know, spring came and the crocuses poked up and the daffodils and then the tulips. There were all these beautiful bulbs of flowers. And, you know, luckily my business has been going so well that my husband doesn't have to work an outside job. So he gets to fully focus on our farm. And that means that the farm has really taken leaps and bounds over the last two years. He's done so much work to beautify the space, to build storage for our wood, build, you know, fences around all of our gardens, to fix things on the house, paint the porch. <laughs> and plant a bunch of trees and prune all of the trees. Like he's done so much work and clear up the land. There was barbed wire on a lot of like really old, nasty fencing. He's picked up all of that and moved it out. So it's very, it's getting cleared out. We're starting to see, you know, what this farm used to look like, you know, in a form that it may have looked like. And we have big plans. Like we want to have an outdoor kitchen and yurts for people to come and stay and work on the farm to have retreats. We want to have an outdoor shower and space to gather uh, a pizza oven. <laughs> we have a little farm stand that we'd love to turn into little happening spot that people come to and hear music and eat good wood-fired pizza. So we have big plans and it's super exciting. And you know we've been able to put in solar panels and a well since we got here. We're really looking to create a refuge for spiritual folks, for people who want to live closer to the land. We love growing tons of food and giving it back to our community. It just gives us so much joy. I hope this gives you a little inspiration. If you are the kind of person who wants to have a farm or wants to have a piece of land, we all are deserving of our dreams. Our dreams are part of our Dharma. So our purpose and so being able to fulfill these deep desires is why we incarnated in a body. So, you know, as long as your desires are not hurting anyone else, they can be powerful catalysts and they can be our why, why we wake up in the morning and are excited to move forward in our business. Like for me, my why is so that my husband can be retired and he can do farming on this land. He always laughs when I say he's retired because he says he's working harder than he ever has in his life, but he loves it. And he gets to make his own schedule. And the fruits of the laborers are really sweet. So I hope this inspires you. And I love to hear your stories. If you are also 
trying to create a spiritual business online so that you can work remotely from a farm. It's such a beautiful marriage because farming is hard and there's a lot of expenses. So having a really successful online business can really help you make these dreams happen because you know, now with fast internet, we can live pretty much anywhere and serve people and help them get really amazing transformations and build the life of their dreams while building the life of our dreams. So I hope this is inspiring and I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantuladesma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day and we will connect soon on a future episode.